Hey, so welcome back to Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast by yours truly. And in this one, my dears, we're diving deep. We're going to walk into the woods and hopefully find our way through. Let me give you some background. Okay, so a while ago, I'm going to say like four years ago, my younger brother, who is like a crazy, like voracious reader, brought me something to check out. He tapped on my door and very casually handed me this book and said something along the lines. You should read this. It's great. There's so much in there. And then he just kind of like walked off. Now, with my brother's recommendations to things are a toss up, especially if I'm to point out specific brothers, you know, it's safe. I, I'm, I'm skeptical. I've been burnt. <laughs> So anyway, look, I took the book and set it on my shelf and just, you know, proceeded to pass by it over some years. You know, as my life at that point, you know, was extremely tense and busy and I had tunnel vision, you know, more important matters to handle. So fast forward to this year at the top of October, I passed by the book again and I saw it collected a little dust. I felt bad. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be my personal challenge for October. I'm going to finish this book. It fit the theme of the month with Halloween being the guiding light. So I was like, yeah, I want to have a spooky month. You know, I cracked open Frankenstein or the uh, Modern Prometheus uh, by Mary Shelley. And oh, my God, I was not prepared. It's a classic piece of literature. It's been around for more than 200 years, right, at this point. And in some places for school, it's required reading. But somehow it just kind of like flew under the radar for me. I'd heard the tale or I thought I knew the gist of it. You know, at least I thought I did, you know. I understood the pop culture references that seemed to never end. And as I read and read and read some more, you know, standing outdoors at work in this cold weather reading and under a nightlight in bed and a car between destinations, you know, I tore my way through this book. I had one question that just continued to float across my mind. And it was, how in the entire hell did pop culture ruin such a book? Like, how the hell, I'm sorry, did, did it have everything backwards and wayside and twisted? It frustrated me. So, you know, I, I pressed on. So I'm about like midway through the book and I had a light go off in my head and everything kind of began to blend together. I saw it in this whole new sense and I wanted to share that with you all. I don't want to do a book review. I want y'all to see the vision I had and went through while reading this and afterwards. So now I quickly realized I wouldn't finish the book in time with the theme of October of, you know, Halloween and the hoodoo and such, right? Not including everything else I was trying to get done in my penny world and along with life and work, you know, my job. So I paced myself and here we are. Episode three, Frankenstein and a mirror. I'm trying to find the words to not necessarily ruin the book and dish out spoilers. However, 
I want to give a brief synopsis of the book. I'm going to throw a flag up right now for all of you who are in fact interested in reading the book. If you don't want my floating thoughts or random opinions in your head or, you know, you know, any spoilers, now is the time to sit this one out. You know, go ahead and have you read an adventure, then tap back in with me later on. <laughs> now, the rest of the lot of you, here we go. Frankenstein, first and foremost, let's be very clear, is not the name of the beast or wretch, as it's referred to in the novel. That is the name of the scientist who created him, Victor Frankenstein, or I guess Dr. Victor Frankenstein, but he didn't really finish college and he was in school studying as a scientist and so yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's like strike one and like wrong things we have gathered in society. Anyways, you know, the wretch or the beast Frankenstein created does not have a name at all and is referred to as many different descriptors throughout the book, which for me, I feel is a lot more menacing. What grabbed my attention reading this was the ambition of Frankenstein and his descent into madness, creating the wretch and the downfall of what it all meant to create. You know, he was blinded in his ambition and his pursuit of greatness he created without putting consideration, putting into consideration the outcomes, which in his profession I find really odd that he never went through this scientific thought process of cause and effect. I was like, well, what's going on here? <laughs> but let me slow down. Let me slow down the, the synopsis. All right. So Frankenstein is the story of a scientist caught up in his passion and lack of awareness. He plays God, becoming a creator of a wretch that he himself can't even stomach to look at, abandoning his creation and spiraling into fits of anxiety and despair. He falls ill and he leaves his beast, who then ventures into the world, finding it incompassionate and um, unforgiving. He inevitably becomes like demonish as a result of his treatment from humanity and lack of acknowledgement slash accountability um, towards him from Frankenstein. The beast leads them both to madness. Their lives and outcomes are intertwined. It ends with the scientist, Frankenstein, dying from a multitude of illnesses, trying to kill the beast. And the beast isolates himself to a life of solitude in the Arctic where it's presumed he commits suicide. Whew. Now, bear in mind, this is like the most condensed of condensed summaries this novel of this novel I can come up with without giving up everything and exhausting myself and y'all with the whole explanation. I love y'all. So, you know, in my show notes, I will include some cool video essays and resources I came across and gathered as I was putting this together. If you're interested in like, you know, but you're not really like feeding, feeling like reading, you know, the book, but you should, you know, you just check out the show notes if you want that stuff. You know, different things hit us at different times and maybe this ain't your season to consume. I can't tell you how many things I've had to double back on over the years to realize it became like my favorite thing ever. And it like really affected me. Um. 
this book hit me at like the weirdest of times. I'm shedding this old and like speed walking cautiously into a new me. If there's anything I've gathered from this book, it's like what they would yell at us at the pool, running around and doing flips off the side into the deep end. You know, the lifeguards would yell, be careful and walk. No running, you know, do not run. And man, you know, Victor, you know, Frankenstein, you know, I have in my copy of this book annotations and post-its all over, just peeking out, you know, just falling out. And at a certain point, like, there's a turning point, I just wrote, like, what felt like every other page that I lacked sympathy for, man. It's like, he wasn't this lovable protagonist, and I couldn't really find a thing I respected him for, you know. But maybe the warning he casted out to another ambitious mind, the explorer who he told his tale to, if anything, and that was like at the end, I was like, maybe that's the best he could have done. Give warning to another curious and ambitious mind, you know, to slow down, do not run, take heed to your ambitions. Mary Shelley did a fantastic job with creating this ominous world where the horror shifted and changed to so much and everything but the beast. You know, the real horror, I feel, sits in the hands of the creator, the one who played too many games and met some real-ass consequences. Victor's lack of accountability of what it meant to be a father, what it means to be a father and a creator is his ultimate downfall. He betrays himself and his family, his humanity, his craft, and the beast in his quest for glory. You know, it's like one of my favorite lines is when the monster says, I have a love in me of which the likes of you scarcely can imagine. You can scarcely imagine and rage the like of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy one, I will indulge in the other. You know, it, it kind of tells you everything you need to know. How one comes to that realization. Well, how the beast came to what, you know, his his reactions to life. To this life he was thrust into. When he's pushed to the outskirts of society. I mean, the beast was extremely smart. But... He wasn't made that way. He grew into all of what, all of that. And he was, and he was, and in spite of Frankenstein. Sorry, I'm kind of all over the place. Let me bring it in, you know. Okay, so Shelley wrote this book when she was around 18 or 19 years old. And by some, it's considered one of the first, if not the, if not first, science fiction novel. Her intentions for this book, she said, were to speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling horror. Now, I'm going to stop right there, right? <laughs> and let this be the jump off. We see this concept repeated and remade in countless things. The story of a mad scientist, the mad genius the whiz-savant whiz mathematician, the starving, brilliant, loony musician or artist, the, the genius and misunderstood chef with the brittle exterior, the obsessed, intense, homicidal, but radiant ballerina 
whose sole purpose in life was her craft and to be the greatest. I mean, come on, yo. By, by the way, did y'all catch any of the movies I'm like loosely describing here? <laughs> I mean, it's reiterated throughout our society in many forms. And I think Shelley did a fantastic, like incredible job showing how if you can have, how if you have like an inquisitive mind leaning into a shadowy ambition without, you know, with a lack of an awareness, with a disregard to self, you will get burnt. And if not, you know, worse, you wither, you eat away at yourself, the genius will perish. And in this case, Shelley, you know, uh, for Frankenstein, um, she said, uh, what was it? It will be supremely frightful, would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creative creator of the world. Now, I'm not suggesting the repercussions are the same, like the way that she's saying that for her, for Frankenstein is the same of all these different types of geniuses that I was saying, but they are heavy. They are heavy repercussions when, you know, Mary, you know, I read, I did my more digging, you know, and um, Mary was influenced by the mythology of Prometheus so much so that it's a part of the title of Frankenstein. It's full title. You heard me say earlier, it's Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus. And Prometheus was a Titan who is best known for gifting fire to mankind after stealing it. He's punished then by Zeus, chained to a rock, and being eaten away by birds for eternity. You know, and one moral point of the story is if you share too much, overextend yourself, or share secret knowledge, there are consequences and steep ones at that. I had read that Shelley was of the Romantics era and mindset and literature. Her and her colleagues didn't find that myth of Prometheus as a cautionary tale or tragedy. In fact, they looked to Prometheus as a hero, a hero who dealt with incredible suffering. And one could look at this novel of Frankenstein in another way as a celebration of ambition and superhuman effort. This then led me to reflect on the cost of ambition and the hefty price of sacrifice. It had me reflecting on myself and how I've interpreted grind culture. I was I started to do some linking here, you know, and how I've allowed it to seep into my everyday life, my goals, to-do lists, checklists, milestones perpetuated in our society and culture I naturally digested without a second glance. I thought of myself as both the creator, and I saw myself as both the creator, Frankenstein, and the beast. I started wondering now, like, where does my balance sit? Am I control? Am I in control of my motives, or my motives in the front seat, holding on to the wheel? And I'm sitting in the trunk, held captive. It's so easy to be caught up, especially with a million things talking to you at once. Even worse. It's easy to get caught up in our head with half-baked ideas of our ambitions. Man, I sat there for a second and realized, I'm though, although I'm like constantly rearranging and redefining 
my ideas and concepts on my art, art on a whole and where I sat in the mix, I knew it had been a minute since I held up a mirror and checked my motives. So what does one do, you know? How does somebody go about checking that? I got a little anxious because I was like, hold on now. Like, am I having to start from scratch? Do I need to go way back to the beginning? Do I need to maybe seek help, have a second opinion check me? You know, have have I obsessed and found and found myself too deep in all of this? You know, really, did I have ambitions that didn't match my morals and codes? Did I have motives that would steer me into a dark path? Was I on my way? Am I okay? How I'm moving? I mean, I mean, the questions just never ended. See, I've come to partially understand, and I say partially because this is a thought that simmers for a while, like red beans and rice. This is a low ball exercise, if you if you catch my drift, you know. <laughs> but like, only you can know the answer. Only you know the sensations. Only you hold the mirror. You know when you're doing too much and you know if you're doing too little. I guess the important part is to catch yourself when you feel the wind change. That feeling of discernment is crucial and extremely necessary skill, especially in the arts world. But oftentimes, it's not exercised in this context. That muscle isn't used here. And boy, Frankenstein, there was, he, there, there, he had so many times his body gave him warnings. You know, as he started out creating the monster... He worked obsessively to the point where he didn't notice the changing of the seasons. He lost so much weight. He had sunken eyes, lost communication and connection with his friends and family back home and the world he had created into going off to school. Um, he, there was no sleep, no eating. Everything about him essentially declined. But even that was enough to, that wasn't enough to slow down his exi- excitement to taste what he determined was glory. This is why I was like at the end of my reading. I started questioning who am I to really judge him? You know, I've been in his shoes. Or rather, I've played, I've dabbled in his shoes. I I didn't put them on all the way. But like, (laughs) I know what that looks like and feels like many times over. The thing is, we don't have to do that. You can, in fact, be healthy and brilliant. There, you don't have to be considered brilliant. To be considered brilliant, you don't have to be unhealthy. You don't have to be what has been lauded and glamorized, like this, this, um, just like unbalanced, you know, unbalanced genius. I'm, I'm, I realize I'm speaking in, in some ableist language here, so forgive me. But I'm just saying, in a nutshell, it's a possibility possibility out there for many of us if we have the capability and or capacity to check in with ourselves I think it's a learned skill a matter of checking in every so often a practice behavior we don't have to have it right and perfect at all times that's that's not human you just have to have the tool on your hip at the ready all right I've rambled enough (laughs) This is just a thought that crossed my mind as I was reading. So um, hold on to that for me, will you? And until 
next time. See ya. You are listening to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast by Penny English. You can follow me on Instagram at pennyenglish317 or on SoundCloud at Penny English. My main website is pennyenglishfood.wordpress.com as well as on Facebook at Penny English. Thank you once again, truly.